previously on Texas Twiggy. The second good thing to come out of Popeye is just that, which we will come back to a little later down the line. Shelley's debut as producer and the beginning of an era, nay, eras, fairy tale theater. That's right, all of your favorite original TV programming. That is, any shows created for cable network, so everything from Keeping Up with the Kardashians to SpongeBob to Chopped to Monday Night Baseball were made possible in part by Shelley herself. She's a little bit of a Luddite on purpose. Like, I think she doesn't love technology. She, she's, you know, doesn't trust internet and stuff. And I get it. Like, I don't love it either. But um... So contacting Shelley is sort of like trying to run through a glass wall. You can see what's on the other side, but there's no way to get to it. I had sought out Shelley, but beyond and instead, I had stumbled into a small ecosystem that thrived on and around her. I'm glad that she has, you know, people around her. I'm glad to know she's not alone. It's good to just check in on her and bring her, you know, assistance in, in, in any form of joy. I like to be able to at least present her with like, these people love you. You could sign this drawing an 11-year-old girl did. An 11-year-old girl is still inspired by you. And that's very touching for her. And that is super rewarding for me. And Now on video cassette, it's Shelley Duvall's Bedtime Stories, the highly acclaimed collection of animated children's stories. Each of these delightful cassettes features at least two best-selling picture books children will watch and enjoy over and over again. Not just at bedtime, but any hour of the day or night. Welcome to episode 8 of Texas Twiggy, a podcast about Shelley Duvall. I'm Emma Lehman, a longtime Shelley admirer and the producer and narrator of this podcast. Today, we're journeying into Shelley's catalog of children's programming, her producing ventures, and the work she says she is most proud of to this day. Two years after she had read The Frog Prince while on the cocaine-addled Maltese set of Popeye, Shelley Duvall's Fairy Tale Theater released its first episode on the Showtime network. In the span of those two years, Shelley had established her first production company, Platypus Productions, and produced, narrated, and filmed introductions in 26 episodes of Fairy Tale Theater. Her, her motivation's always pure. It's always, you know. Mm-hmm excited about the material be it fairy tales or excited about children and inspiring them or you know she's even on like newton's apple because you know that science show she's brilliant and, and you know and interested in science she's just a fascinating woman and ryan says that shelley's favorite topic of conversation is that the empire of children's content she created in the 80s and 90s a piece that ran in several local papers in 1985 a great example of how the media treated and viewed her even in her heyday, shows us a passionate and driven Shelley, fresh off two excruciating movies, Popeye and The Shining, ready to pursue a dream that didn't involve OSHA violations and post-traumatic stress issues. But it also describes her in a cruel tone so biting I'm surprised it was allowed to run. Thanks to her otherworldly looks and the ditzy film characters, it's hard to imagine Duvall organizing a trip to the next room much less a 500,000 per episode series. At five foot eight inches tall with huge dark eyes, 
buck teeth, and a gangly frame, she resembles a large congenial waterfowl, dressed in a baggy yellow sweater, white slacks, blouse, and a billowing scarf tied around her neck. This is characteristic of Shelley media coverage, even when describing her producing feats. You can play misogyny bingo with it. Mention of her weight, check. Mention of her teeth, check. Insulting her intelligence, check. Insinuating she's not to be taken seriously, check. Bingo. Even when she was behind the camera, comments about her looks and degrading suggestions of incompetence based on her looks or her gender or her mannerisms or all of the above peppered every article about her I could find. Bucktooth. Gangly. Disjointed. Loopy. Scrawny. Toothy grin. But despite an industry that refused to take her seriously, Shelley persevered with her productions, slowly building a formidable empire of children's content. She had shows, Mrs. Piggle Wiggle, Shelley Duvall's Bedtime Stories, Stories from Growing Up, Nightmare Classics, Fairy Tale Theater. She had movies, hell, she had two albums produced in the Ode to Kids label, a record label she formed with Lou Adler in 1991. She was putting the Showtime network on the map, creating an empire of high-quality children's content whose magic came from her determination to make content not for children, per se but for everyone. By 1983, she'd sidelined acting in favor of producing, though she says that she was open to roles and they simply weren't coming in. But by all accounts, this is when Shelley was doing what she most wanted to do. Her famed collection of fairy tale books, stored in her California property in a wall-to-wall bookshelf in her bedroom, was being brought to life in full color. And America's kids got to benefit. Ringo Starr. Bette Midler, Gene Stapleton, Dudley Moore, Rick Moranis, Bonnie Raitt, Michael J. Fox, Martin Short, John Candy, Christian Slater. In 1985, she formed another production company, Mea Culpa Incorporated. In 1986, she formed Think Entertainment. In 1988, Cactus Productions. 91, Platypus Productions. By the early 1990s, starring in a Shelley Duvall production was the thing to do. A 1995 article calls it, quote, the thing to do, much like the old Batman series where half of Hollywood was on the waiting list to play a villain. In 1994, Shelley gave an interview about the future of her children's empire. She said, if you wanted to watch children's programming, you'd go to the children's venue, and there would be Disney Channel, Nickelodeon, and maybe... Shelly Vision. I would love to do that. It can't just be the big guys creating new networks. Shelly dreamt of a children's network with high-quality, well-produced content for the young and the young at heart. She went so far as to register Shelly Vision Incorporated in 1998, but it was dissolved in 2003 without ever becoming a network. Now this is the part where this show really gets research-heavy. Like, I was up in JSTOR, I was putting in out-of-print book requests, ordering insanely expensive and obsolete technology on eBay. So I ordered the CD on eBay, and it was, uh, $40. But here it is. 
just to read the jacket notes. Okay, copyright 91. Trying to find out what the hell happened in 2002 that made Shelley disappear. I knew something went down with her production companies in the mid-90s and that she went from owning a heaping handful of companies in 1989 to owning exactly zero in 95. It looks like every company she owned was bought or subsumed by some larger entity, if not involuntarily forfeited. But that, a decade later, she just moved to the middle of nowhere and sank into delusion? No, no. Oh, no. She... It just didn't sit right with me. How could this woman, who had a six-season show, multiple production companies, influence in the A-list circle, connections galore, and a seemingly unshakable sweetness and optimism, suddenly vanish? And why did nobody care? Every company listed under Shelley's name now has a filing status of suspended. According to the IRS, generally, businesses are suspended when they fail to file a return, pay taxes, pay penalties, pay fees, or pay interest. Tax forfeiture sounds complicated, but it's pretty simple. Basically, if you don't pay the right taxes, your property, in Shelley's case the production company, is forfeited to the state in which it was incorporated, who will hold it in trust for local taxing districts. Basically, if you aren't well-versed in the tax code or you let your payments lapse, you're forfeiting. As my research made it into the late 90s, I tried and tried to wrap my head around what she owned, what she didn't, and why she did or didn't own it anymore. So it looks like Think Entertainment is the company that owns Think Productions, and then Shelly owns both? Yeah, okay, Chief Executive here, Officer. down, and you click on that. Right, and then down here. Okay, a conglomerate is a multi-industry business. Okay, so it could be a The Wikipedia page is so long for this single word. And you put the... Oh, Armadillo is Think, right? No, they're different. That was the fate, too, of Mea Culpa, and Think, and Cactus, and Platypus. One by one, CEO Shelley Duvall's companies succumbed to tax forfeiture. And then, in 2002, she appeared in her last film role as Detective Dubrinsky in Mana from Heaven. We've got a problem. I'm here to ask you a few questions about Sister Teresa. You're in the doghouse now, sister. And then, just as suddenly as she'd broken onto the scene in 1970, she disappeared. With her companies dissolved and her film credits dried up, Shelley retreated from the public eye without so much as an announcement. Everything went dark for almost 15 years. Pop culture references to Shelley never abated, of course, though they were mainly surrounding The Shining and mostly pretty cruel. But nobody seemed to question what had happened or where she'd gone or why. Her shows, the rights having been sold off to Disney and MCA and other big, huge companies whose executives had probably never spoken to Shelley in the flesh, still aired on TV. But Shelley never again sees a penny from these productions. If Shelley wanted to use her own face today, Lionsgate could copyright her. When I asked her brothers about this period in her life, they both took a pause. Shelly, you know, like I said, she was very, um, 
I'm looking for some words here. You know, Shelly's, uh, you know, emotional and mental. She, the business thing of it, she really hated. You know, and when she did the big contract with Showtime and all of that for the fairy tale and all that, it was just brutal, you know, and everything to have to do all that. She just hated all that contract talk and all of that stuff. She hated that business end of it. That's Stu, sort of fumbling to explain that Shelly, well, Shelly was really savvy. She was, after all, the CEO of multiple production companies and the name behind a formidably sized empire of children's programming that attracted celebrities and their agents from Hollywood and beyond. But some aspects of the industry were soul-sucking for her. You know, and she, cause she, uh, she bought a, a little historical uh, heritage house there, you know, and got her parrots and goat and her cats and her birds. Oh my God, her birds. Jesus, there's so many birds. Shelly and her aviary, I don't say this figuratively, she literally has an aviary. Ryan's seen it and says it's impressive. Packed it up. And they really did not leave a single trace behind. Around the time that her companies were forfeited, Shelley also neglected to pay the rent on a few storage lockers, and her costumes and CDs and signed memorabilia were auctioned off. Tons of freaking clothes. So far, it's all clothes. I even found an episode of Storage Wars, a show where a bunch of sunburned guys in wraparound sunglasses root through and resell abandoned and forfeited self-storage lockers that seems to feature a locker of Shelley's. I'd like to see this girl. She might have been right up your alley. Probably came right out of the alley. You're right. They find some of her costumes, a treasure trove of the cutest clothes ever, and a box containing her Popeye shoes and a certificate of authenticity. Watch watch the knife. Some kind of old boots or something? What are those? Check it out. Shelly Duvall from Popeye. Olive oil shoes. Are you me? There's a certificate so Shelley lost, or maybe gave up, almost everything. All of her old companies are restaurants and dry cleaners and pharmacies now. Most of them are 20 or 30 minutes from my apartment on the west side of Los Angeles. Hey there, it's me. That's right, the voice you've been listening to this whole time. I'm just interrupting myself to ask that if you're enjoying Texas Twiggy, you consider donating to the Patreon. This podcast took many, many, many hours of research, editing, travel, and of course, blood, sweat, and tears. Supporting financially helps keep it going and helps me bring you more podcasts and updates in the future. Patrons get perks like stickers, shoutouts, and updates, as well as early access to episodes and behind-the-scenes content. Go to patreon.com slash Twiggy to chip in. Now back to the Shelleyverse. Hello, I'm Hope Lamond. I'm an associate producer on a kids' story time show with Genevieve Goings, and I run the channel Queen of VHS on YouTube. I found Hope Lamond through a VHS screener of Mother Goose Rock and Rhyme. She runs a YouTube channel called Queen of VHS, info in the show notes, of course where she uploads rare archival footage of mostly children's television that she scans from VHS tapes. I'm going to be honest, I don't really know the whole history. Prior to this interview, I was doing research on how Shelley got, you know, in contact with Lyric Studios. I'm, I'm going to tell you this, and you just take this with a grain of salt. Right. Lyric Studios was a Texas-based company 
And I can proof this because then there are distribution offices. What is it? Can you see that? Yeah, yeah. Now, this is a 972 number. That's it. She finds some pretty great rare tape. And her screener of Mother Goose was what turned me on to the production, which is a crazy, zany mishmash of children's stories personified. And so, so a screener would be something that was shown to, to companies that wanted to acquire the whatever production it is, right? So it's like Hope, who studies at UCF, knows ins and outs of the business that I couldn't find in months of research, and some that I totally could, but she's just better at explaining it. Actually, you're right and you're not right on both sides. So they would have like a distribute a, a representative from the company who would come out and they would give them to, can you see this? Yeah. So they would, they would have a distribution representative come out to like video stores and like mom and pop stores and they'd be like, hey, you know, this is like, this is our company. We want to distribute, you know, this, you've got a new product coming out. This is our new product. And some of them would have to make you return them to the distributor representative on demand. If it was like, for example, you know, Rugrats, they would, they would like, instead of like the normal previews and stuff, because then if you want, if you grew up watching all like, you know, the Rugrats and you remember seeing being, um, a thing through like a Lakers window and the odds kids and blues clues and all these other things and Charlotte's web and Charlie Brown and everything. And they would like tell these video store owners how they would, you know, help promote this product like you know a four by four display you know what i'm saying like mm-hmm. four by four display a giveaway where you win a trip to nickelodeon studios in orlando florida that that sort of thing she's especially well versed in lyric studios a production company who carried shelley's tall tales and legends and mother goose rock and rhyme well the difference with lyric they would just jump right into things and you'd get a for screener purposes only you I'm pretty sure you saw the yeah. rock and rock screener. Yeah. And, you know, it was kind of the same Barney. So, except with Barney, they had like a a little warning at the start saying, you know, hey, this is the property of Lyric Studios. And if you sell this anywhere, we're going to drop you down. <laughs> She's holding up a VCR tape of the Mother Goose screener from Lyric, explaining how one converts VHS to digital. It's a process that makes my own research seem paltry in comparison. So, okay, I have I have a VCR and I have a laptop and I have something called EasyCap. And that's pretty much the crappiest converter that you can have, but it is good on me. And I use OBS to record everything. I, like, get everything ready. There's, like, a few technical terms, but probably if I said it here, I would be, like, tongue-tied. It would be better if I was, like, if I showed you in pictures what I do, you know, like a complicated process, but then I finally had a blue screen and a German guy I knew showed me how to digitize VHS tapes. And I started from doing the American shows that I collected from somebody whose wife was downsizing her tape collection. And I started just digitizing and digitizing and digitizing. This past summer, I got a multi-format VCR, which means if I find something with Shelley Duvall in it, it from Germany, for example, and it's power region, I can convert that. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah. So then it's like, it's like different regions 
different formats. And it's been working very, very nicely. It's got a lot of technical things and I pretty much have like finally navigated it. And I actually digitized two of the three screeners on that VZR. Hope holds up the tape again and I learn that we have the same instinct to find addresses and go to them asking for Shelly information, despite them now being all-you-can-eat buffets and pharmacies and vacant office parks. Can you see that? Yeah, yeah. Now, this is a 972 number. That's a um, Austin area number. And this is like a Texan, this is like a Texan address. This is from Richardson. And it's a Remax now. I even looked it up. Mm -hmm. I haven't even called the number yet. Maybe I will on Monday. (laughs) I got so busy. When I went to see the California addresses, I had a strange feeling of closeness to Shelley. Not that I expected to see her here, thousands of miles and several decades past from her current home, having shown up to the vitamin shop where her old cactus productions used to be. But here was a place where Shelley had gone, likely pretty often, a place out of which her dreams and accomplishments had spawned. It felt important. It felt... bittersweet. Maybe this storied departure from Los Angeles for the reclusive private ranch in Texas held within it the answers I was looking for. After all, I had an open invitation from Shane and Stuart if I were ever in the area. Just then, I got a message from Xavier. A few hours earlier, as I was compiling interviews, I'd texted him on a whim. Any way I could get Shelley's personal number? Sure, he said, and sent me a Texas number and a prayer emoji. Oh my god, I said aloud to the zero other cars in the vitamin shop parking lot. I have Shelley Duvall's personal phone number. Hands quivering, I turned on my recorder and dialed the number on speaker. Please leave your message. Nothing. Part of me was strangely relieved. Part of me was disappointed. But it didn't matter. I had Shelley Duvall's personal phone number. Next time on Texas Twiggy. When Shelley disappeared, there was pretty sparse media coverage. A disappearance, after all, is not in itself an event. It's not until the person has been gone for some time that you can even consider it a disappearance, and by then the problem is that nobody cares anymore. Think about it. The way you find out that celebrities have aged or gained weight or what have you is when it runs in a tabloid, and it only runs in a tabloid when they emerge back into the public or some newsworthy event catches them in the crosshairs. In 2009, the infamous tabloid The National Enquirer visited Shelley's house, interviewing her for a piece that ran with the title, Shelley Duvall, Demented. This is how I suspect the Dr. Phil team found Shelley, this now defunct forum from 2010 where locals both expose and express concern for her. And I, I have to ask the, the Dr. Phil thing. Yeah. That... But this whole thing, it got under his skin. There it was. 
That was just, it was just terrible. I mean, you know, I mean, Texas Twiggy is reported, narrated, and produced by me, Emma Lehman. Our music is created and mixed by Olivia Springberg. Our research consultant is Sarah Lukowski. Special thanks to Avery Erskine for transcribing interviews, giving notes on endless drafts, and proofreading scripts. Thank you to my patrons, Ken Lehman, Dana Edwards, Dwayne Lehman, Jen, Jose Armenta, Justine Springberg, Kelly Alasser, Liz Wheeler, Xavier Hamill, Kathleen Axe, Cave Audacity, Dan Travis, Holly, Sarah Elizabeth, Sharon, and Sophia Polito. Special thanks to Hope for the interview and the VHS expertise. Remember to check out Queen of VHS on YouTube and the podcast that Hope is working on with one of the most recognizable voices in children's entertainment, Genevieve Goings. See you next week.